إنك لا تهدي من أحببت ولكن الله يهدي من يشاء Bismillahirrahmanirrahim. Assalamu alaikum Welcome to another episode of the Young Smirks podcast. I'm joined with Sheikh Abu Toba again. Assalamu alaikum Sheikh. Wa alaikum salam wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. How's it going? Alhamdulillah. Subhanallah. It's, uh, it was a lot to take in the last episode. Um, this is a lot of kind of things that we've never heard before, you know. Alhamdulillah. And um, the last couple of episodes have been a big insight into your life. And I wanted to kind of extend on that in another episode. And um, because we, we kind of give a, a kind of like an outline of your life, but you, you actually told us that you were arrested and you spent some time in prison. So I kind of wanted to kind of go into that and, and know more about your experience. Alhamdulillah. Barakallah fikum. Naam. So if we would talk about when I got arrested, I think it's like 2009 or 10. I'm not too sure about the year. I'm always fuzzy about those things. So they arrest me. What did they do? How did they get me arrested? Okay, I think I mentioned that I refused to do an operation and then my name became mud. Meaning now whenever I traveled or did anything, I had these long waits and these interviews with authorities and and through customs and all my bags were going through and every book I had and every dollar I had was photographed and all this stuff was going on while I'm traveling. One time I was coming back from Kenya, I had just come back from Kenya and I think I'd been in the United States maybe a week or so. And uh, they arrested me, they came and I was with a famous guy, his name is Michael Bell, he's a champion. Michael Bell, he's a four-time Hall of Famer in kickboxing. He was the champion for 10 years and, uh, you know, undefeated champion for 10 years. And he used to train us. So I was with him that morning. And it's funny, the guys that they got, the team that arrested me, they said, we were waiting for you to come out (laughs) of that place. We didn't want to go in there Mm -hmm. and try to get you out of a place with somebody like Michael Bell in there because he's so, you know, intimidating to them plus he's a champ they didn't want to um, do that for him so when I came out in fact I was going to drive his car but then another guy came and picked me up and because my wife was out traveling uh, well not traveling I'm um, shopping so she had the vehicle so another guy came and picked me up and um, that's when they arrested me once I pulled away from there what was my charge they charged me initially with a gun charge which they knew couldn't stick because I was like, oh, how am I going to get a gun charge when I have, and they didn't know I had proof that I had uh, the right to use deadly force all this time because I had been waiting all these years. One of the good things about being uh, uh, African and, and dealing with uh, Americans is they always think African men are stupid and never realize that, you know, what's going on. So I had gotten ready for this particular day for years I'd been preparing. Okay, and um, they didn't realize that I was prepared for this. So the gun charge wouldn't go anywhere. It's impossible for them to get away with that particular thing. But their real objective was they were trying to get a terrorist charge, a terrorism charge out of me. And the way they did that, there was a young man 
who uh, is a Puerto Rican kid from New York. When I say kid, he's uh, like in his 20s, young 20s. We knew this guy for half his life, okay? Muslim, but still in the street, acting wild and everything like that between New York and Philly or Brooklyn and Philly. There's a lot of uh, young men who are Muslim nominally, but in practice, they're still in the hood, you know, in their minds, okay? In their activities. And we want to save this guy. Me and some of the guys my age, his father was murdered when he was like 13. His mom's, you know, was, you know, became a heroin addict, you know, and, you know, the guys that were in her life beat him up, run him out the house because they don't want him around, you know? And so he was struggling with that. And so I said, listen, maybe what'll help this kid and some of my friends uh, said, maybe what'll help him if we bring, if they send him down here to me, down in Florida, because I'm living in Florida now. And so one of my friends, Mustafa, he said, yeah, we'll send him down here. Big Bar, you know, Big Ra, all of us guys like that, sent him down to come live with me. And I started to, I realized once he got down to Florida that he was a, 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 how do you call it? A functioning illiterate. That was the word I was looking for. Never really went to school. And so I said, well, I have to teach this kid how to read. Because what happened, Mustafa's son had gone to Mauritania and was memorizing Quran and stuff like that. And so uh, the young man was like, yo, that's my man. He went over there to remember, I want to go too. So we said, well, we're not going to send him just straight over there. That's going to be a problem. He's not prepared. Send him down to me. I'll get him straight, you know, see how he's acting, everything. Teach him some adab, get him ready. And then we'll send him to Mauritania. Straighten out his life, get him out the city. So he comes down to me, and he's living in my garage. Okay? And it's the first time this kid's really been out of any place besides, you know, New York and Philly. And since he's Puerto Rican, you know, I speak Spanish. We started teaching him how to read Spanish, how to, you know, touch up his Spanish and everything, which was really good for him. You know, we start there. Then we moved to English. We're doing these things like that. Alhamdulillah, Rabbil Alameen. And, uh, and I, have, I still have some of his work, some of his schoolwork here with me because we were working on his penmanship. I had him write out the whole um, Spanish book at that time so he could, you know, really get it. Alhamdulillah, Rabbil Alameen, I still have that. But being a young kid, being impressionable, he still wasn't out of the street. What the FBI did is they couldn't get to me, so they had an FBI agent come up to this kid when I wasn't looking and said, hey, man, you know, what you doing down here? He said, man, I'm studying with Abu Talib. Oh, yeah? You studying with Abu Talib? Yeah, man, I'm studying with Abu Talib. Well, I know you can't get no weed down here with him. Let me be your cool uncle. Let me be your cool uncle, man. When, when the sheikh is, is, is busy, I know he got you on a lockdown. I'll take care of you, you know? And so now this guy starts feeding him drugs on a slip. He comes to me and says, yo, sheikh, you know, I know you're busy with your family because I got two wives, you know? I have, you know, and now I have 18 children, but I had about 15 at the time, you know? I know best, you know, but he's like, yeah, I know you're busy with your family. If you need some time, let me take him with me. You know, I'll take him off your hands. So I'm like, okay, that, that would be all right. Take him to get something to eat, give him a little free time, you know? And I allowed it. Now I was like, mm, 
I'm seeing how he's coming back. I'm starting to notice things. I'm thinking maybe I'm being too suspicious of the guy. I'm trying to give a positive spin on the kid because I can't imagine he's getting no drugs. Mm. He's eating in my house. He's sleeping in, in, in my garage. He's mixing with my children, you know? Mm. And I know he knows the importance of that because we're from the same place. He's a Brooklyn kid. You know, we don't let you in the crib like that, okay? But again, you know, this guy is doing him that way. Then he goes to him and says, yo, you know what Abu Toba teaching you? Oh, he's teaching me how to read. That's all he's teaching you? Don't you know, you know, this dude was a ninja turtle, man. He, could, he ain't teach you none of that stuff, that shooting stuff and all that. So the kid lies. Yeah, yeah, he's teaching me that. This is just the start. You know, mm -hmm. the, the guy says, yo, yeah, after that, he's going to teach me all of that. You get my mm -hmm. point? The whole time, this FBI guy is taping him. Okay? And, but the good thing is, he's not questioning him until after he gets him high. Mm. And he's giving him PCP. Okay, I don't know if you're familiar with PCP. This is these drugs, this hallucinatory, you know, drugs. Okay? And so this guy is, 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 is high, seeing stuff. They got him on video saying all kinds of wild things. Next thing you know, he said, yeah, I'm going to be the next Bin Laden. Woo! You know? Um, and he said, yeah, man, you're going to be in that grave. Yeah, I'm going to get this much. I'm going to get... And he's just plugging this guy. So if you listen to the tapes, he's plugging this guy, you know, pushing him to say, yeah, he's going to be a Mujahid. But he, being a Mujahid is not illegal. We argued that in court. Mm -hmm. So he says he wants to go to jihad. So he says he wants to die. Does that make him a terrorist? You might get away with that in initial proceedings, but they didn't get away with it in the long term. Okay, so he says this stuff, you know, the young man says what he's, he's going to learn and how, you know, Abu Talib is going to teach him this stuff. And next thing you know, he's going to be, you know, heading overseas and afterwards he's going to be going to that grave and he's going to be the next Jedi Mujahid. Okay, and they tape him and they tape him and they tape him. Then they send another FBI guy, you know, this guy's not actually an agent, but he's working with them. And they say to him, look, we got your man locked up in Yemen. We can get him out of jail, but we need you to do some work for us. Yo, look, when you do this thing? And he comes over to my house and say, hey, man, I'll, I'll do, you know, your taxes. Okay? I'll do the taxes. I'll do his taxes. I say, yo, young man, you know, you ever do your taxes? He says, nah, what you doing? I said, I'm doing my taxes. You ain't do your taxes? Nah, man, I ain't doing all that stuff. And I'm like, why not? Then you hustle. Then you sell on the street, you know, sell oils, incense, selling shirts. Didn't you, didn't you make some money last year? Yeah, but I ain't doing all of that. I said, yo, man, you got to do your taxes. You might get some money back. Yeah, go to this guy that does my tax. Now, I don't know he's an FBI guy, okay? I don't know that they got him under the thumb and he's got to report back what he's learning from me, if he's learning anything from me, but whatever he's talking to me about. So this guy does his taxes, too. But when he does his taxes, he puts one of my, two of my children on his taxes. I'm not there. I'm not even there when they do the taxes. So they can't, and he doesn't do it on my computer. He comes with his computer in the garage with the young man. They do the taxes. Of course, that man has my information. He did my taxes for the last two years. Okay. So of course he knows all my children and everything like that. Never did I put them all the people's names on there, anybody else's name on there. But he takes my daughter and one of my sons 
and puts it on this guy's taxes. How am I supposed to know? So the government arrests me and says, I'm in a conspiracy to submit a false tax form. That's not even a, a jail term, you know, even if guilty. Okay, that's mm. like a probation, something like that. But I didn't do that. But they said it's a conspiracy. It's very hard to beat mm. conspiracy. The conspiracy is you told him to go to him. Mm. You were directed him. And so what I did is I subpoenaed that guy. I said, hey, number one, you work for the FBI. Number two, I didn't tell you to do the taxes like that. I didn't give you privilege, my privilege information and tell you to share it with him. I gave you my privilege information to do my taxes and my wife's taxes, but not, you know, this guy's taxes with my information. You know what he did? He pled the fifth. He pled the fifth degree. Mm -hmm. Anything he says can and will be used against him. You would think they would drop the case against me, right? Mm -hmm. But because it's such a high profile attachment, all the, the, the U.S. attorney is involved pushing this thing from their office, telling the judge, hey, you know, we need this case. We got to get this guy. He can't just let it go. And plus, I've already been in jail. Okay. And they want to take that conviction and turn it into a terrorism charge. How? Because now he's going to use the pre proceeds from the taxes to go overseas and fight violent jihad. So we attacked the case. Violent jihad is not an illegal activity. Okay, violent jihad is violent jihad. It's a part of Islam. Are you saying it's illegal? Well, we're saying it's terrorism. Are you saying violent jihad is terrorism? They said no. They cannot say that. Because we can bring precedences where America to this day is supporting violent jihad and violent jihadis, including in Libya today, including in uh, Afghanistan, including in Kosovo and against the... They're supporting these things. So how are you going to say violent jihad is bad? You have to prove that it was terrorism. Mm. And who said I was telling him overseas to do violent jihad? Not me. That wasn't the plan. The plan was to send him overseas to make Umrah, then from Umrah to go to Mauritania and memorize Quran. That's what the other young man went and did, Rashid. They said, we have an example of what I was doing. In Rashid ibn Mustafa, he went overseas after sitting with me and studying a few things. Then he went to the same place I went to in Mauritania. And he studied for four years, became a Hafiz Quran and learned Arabic and all those things and then came back. So where's the example of me mm. doing this type of thing? Does that make sense? Yeah. But the hype of it is what most people get a knee jerk reaction. They say, oh my God, these are terrorists. Oh, and they think and they run with it and they hear you against the United States government and they start acting like homos. Okay, and getting all scared. All these tough guys talking about what they're going to do for Islam and everything. But as soon as they get jaw checked, they run. I don't know what you was doing. I don't want to be involved. It was talking. Why didn't you? But as soon as they get sat down and locked up, no, I mean, it was he was doing this, he was doing that. You get my point? And that's what people started doing, freeing themselves off. It wasn't me. I don't know what he was doing. 
mm -hmm. as opposed to saying he wasn't doing anything. I don't know anything except that he was doing this, that, and the other thing. Mm -hmm. So we had to initially deal with that on our own. Does that make sense? Yeah. And, and there's a rule and strategy that if, and this is a historic point in, in the art of war, every time a smaller force has withstood the initial onslaught of the larger force, the smaller force has always won. You could take modern examples, Vietnam. They were able to understand the initial assault of the French, they beat the French. America, they beat the Americans. Afghanistan, they were able to take the onslaught of the Russian, now they took Kosovo, Chechnya, same thing. So we said, okay, not a problem. We understand this. If we can just ride this out till all this stuff calms down and now let's look at the facts. Did I do any of these things? Okay? And alhamdulillahi rabbil alameen, with all their rhetoric about what was illegal, they were not able to prove that I did anything that was even touching on terrorism. Okay? And that became the key issue. And that's how my case is tied to Ali Tamimi's case and other cases that are going to come mm. now. They call it open up the, the threshold and everybody's going to pour out because they arrested Ali Tamimi. Mm. They said he did all this and they put all this rhetoric out, but they never ruled on it. Mm -hmm. Why? Because there's no overt act. You can talk the talk you want to talk. In his case, people say, well, he said some controversial things. So what? How many people get on in line and talk controversial and say all types of crazy stuff, mm. right? Did he do anything illegal? Not did he do something that white people don't like. You get mm. my point? Because mm. that would boil down. Oh, mm. you got to watch out because they're going to know. They don't have a right to, right? Mm -hmm. But then we pretend like this is a playing, an even playing field, but it's not. It is not an even playing field. We recognize, and this is the part that a lot of Muslims don't want to accept, that when we, we recognize that we get treated differently, once you say that, you can no longer live in the United States as a Muslim. So they want to ignore that and say, no, this is the best thing since ice cream. But don't say this, but don't say, if it's the best thing since ice cream, then I can say the same sarcastic, biting things that anybody else says based on my opinion. But we know it's not that way in practice. Mm. Does that make sense? Yeah. Alhamdulillah, Rabbil Alameen. So I'm locked up. I'm locked up, and for the first year in prison, I am in population with everybody else. And during that time, alhamdulillah, about 34 people accepted Islam by my hand. Alhamdulillah. The last five people were these, we call them Odinists, big white guys with tattoos and, you know, you know, you know Odin, right? Mm -hmm. These they believe in Thor and Odin and Loki and stuff like that. It's like they're, they're like Vikings. That's a better word mm. for them. They're like they're Vikings. And these guys, we didn't expect these guys to accept Islam. In fact, I think they came to the Juma services just to get out of lockdown. Okay? Mm. One of the guys was a Russian guy whose parents, grandparents were actually Muslim. And he remembered something about their Islam when he was growing up. So he said, you know what? He talked his friends to come to Juma just to get out of the place probably. And he came. And after they came and they started talking to us, after a little bit, they were coming and asking questions. And eventually they accepted Islam. This changed the whole jail, the whole prison, because now you got these other cats who are Muslim and they about their business. Okay.
because they were already mean guys. Okay. Mm -hmm. <laughs> the next Juma, they took me out of Juma and put me in isolation. And uh, as it's been reported, they put chains on my legs. And I stayed in isolation for three years. During that time, it was like this wall behind you. No window, no nothing. Just lights. They had truck lights, so it's on your eyes 24 hours a day, three years. Lights never went out. They have a hole in the middle of the floor, that's your toilet, which initially doesn't seem like a bad thing, but they flush it from outside the cell, okay? And they do it twice a week, okay? So there's a smell, okay? Uh, like I said, you're in lockdown, you're on a camera. You're on, on camera, which is illegal. Even when you use the toilet, you're, in, you're under a camera for 24 hours a day, seven days a week. The toilet, total illumination. It's a type of torture. And you have shackles on my legs. Now the shackles on my leg, there's no penal reason for me to be inside a cell by myself and I still have shackles on my legs. The shackles were on my legs so long that the skin fell off my ankles and the front part of my uh, leg right by the foot and you know the white was there. And so I would take my socks and like fold them up to be there for the shackles and then the socks got so wet with blood you know and they would stick. It becomes sticky now. It sticks. So even when I would get to water, I would pour water on them, keep pouring water on them just to loosen them up so I could take it off. Because mm -hmm. if I tried to take it off, it pulls more off. And so that was my legs, bloody for, for, for a while, alhamdulillah. And I kept trying to clean it, you know, to keep from catching infection and everything like that. But that was the way it was um, for months. Till finally, uh, care got involved. If you're familiar with Care, <clears throat> Care Florida, Florida, and uh, Shibli, his team, Alhamdulillahirabbilalamin, may Allah bless them. The Muslims started to push them to come and see me. They came and saw me. He didn't believe what I was saying, and said, "Man, you know, you have to. It has to be more than what you're saying. This is crazy. What you're saying, it cannot be what you're saying." And then he's looking at my legs and saying, "This is crazy. This guy's got bloody ankles." So he tells them, I'm coming back with a camera. <laughs> and then my life changed. You know, they, they tried to hide me in the prison and everything like that, try to disappear you. But he, alhamdulillah, put in some paperwork to have them bring me to court, show up with me in court. And then everybody denied, hey, I don't know who did this. The marshal said, no, it wasn't us. The jail said it was the FBI. The marshal. There's, nobody wanted to claim it. So they had to cut the chains off my legs before I was going. They tried to cut them off. And I guess they wanted to deny that I had chains on my legs. So they were trying to cut them off. Why they had to cut them off? The key wouldn't work anymore. The chains had rusted. One came off. The other one was rusted because I'm taking showers with this. I'm washing. Mm -hmm. So it got rusted and wouldn't come off my leg. So they had to go and get some big clippers to cut it. But it's the whole shackle they got to cut. So when they cut it, the guy who's cutting it, I'm holding my leg there, the metal pops back and springs back and rips his arm, cuts him. Alhamdulillah, it cut him. Because he's a, a, a state worker, right? A federal worker. Mm. What happens when he gets cut? He has to report that. Mm. He has to go to the infirmary and fill out a report on how he got injured. 
And he has to go to the hospital, get a tetanus shot because that's rusted metal. You get my point? And what were you doing? I was clipping some chains, shackles off the left leg of prisoner. Okay? That's what we needed to prove that I had chains in my leg. Allah. The angels or the, the soldiers of Allah. No one knows who the soldiers of Allah are. That metal was a soldier of Allah. Came back and ripped that guy. And that's when everybody started saying, oh, I didn't know. I didn't know he was in a room with the lights on. So they moved me to a room and they turned off the lights. And I was so happy. I was insane. You know, I was like, <laughs> you know, I'm like, hey, the lights went out. And this little guy comes and says, listen, you haven't had the lights out all the time. And yet you're going to sit up and in the dark. And I was like, hey, man, you don't know the tranquility this darkness gives. You know, this mm -hmm. is so, I was like, wow, this darkness is nice. You know, I was like, this is really Nice to have that. So I must have looked crazy after that time mm. um, to them because I was so happy to get the lights turned out, you know? Mm. So from that position, I fought the case. And so while I'm fighting the case from the, the, the prison, from the, 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 the ISO, you know, they got the naysayers saying, hey, man, you're not going to win. It's just you against the United States government. And so they come and I went through six attorneys, okay? Each one could not represent me because they didn't have the technical knowledge, okay? And my case was very technical, okay? Because first of all, they're claiming that it's terrorism. Second of all, I'm an Islamic scholar. Third of all, I'm a former, uh, what do you call it? Uh, how do you want to say it? Anti-terrorist task team member, okay? So you have to have specific knowledge about all three things. So I'm a paralegal. So I put in a, a motion to the court to represent myself. And show, look how many attorneys I've been through. You know, I can't get them. They said, well, why don't you get a Muslim? They all scared out. They wouldn't represent me. Shibley and those guys, they do constitutional law. They're just mm. civil rights. They're not doing criminal law like that. And the suggested attorneys just wouldn't touch it because it was not going to benefit them in the long run. In fact, my attorney, Brodison, after I hired him and he accepted the case and he played, he played, did exactly what I asked him. I played second chair. So he's first chair. I'm second chair. So now I'm fighting the case. I just need an attorney with me to do some of the groundwork. After he finished representing me, they took away his license. Okay. They took his license away and suspended him for 10 years. Okay? Or they found a technicality in some of his paperwork. And now he's no longer attorney. This is mm. the real world. Okay? Mm. So here it is. I represented myself and I'm bringing the thing there. And so they said, you know, well, you need to confess. If you just confess, we'll give you a nice prison in, in Colorado, you get to see the sun and all this other stuff like that. 20 years, you know, you've lived already. <laughs> so I said, okay, I'll write a confession. And they gave me some paperwork. Now, when you write something that you claim to be a confession, the judge has to see it. Mm. Okay? Because this is what you claimed is a confession. And he's, I asked for a bench trial. And in a bench trial, the judge is the jury. Mm. Why didn't I want a jury? Because in all these technical things, a jury can't handle but three facts. This is what we know from law. After three facts, they're confused. 
and they say, well, he must have done something. They got 17 charges on this guy. I didn't have 17 charges, but, you know, they say all types of things. Even mm -hmm. if they say, oh, I'm sorry, Your Honor, I take it back. The people heard it. Mm -hmm. And they don't know the law. But I said, I want a bench trial. You are the judge and the jury. So now he gets to step away from just being the judge and refereeing the trial to now he's the jury and he understands the law. So that negated a lot of their games mm -hmm. in that regard. So you could choose that one. You can choose, but a lot of people don't know that you can choose that option. It's the, the player's option, right? Hey, I'm going to be judged. I can choose who I want to be my jury. Okay? Mm. So, Alhamdulillah, Rabbil Alameen, I chose that option. Then I wrote this, 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 this confession. And the confession began, Alhamdulillah for the Lord Supreme, who's been so kind to the Muslimin, sending Islam with Muhammad to teach. We study his actions and beautiful speech. Quranic in nature, the model of fit, so take from the prophet whatever's legit. Butalba has plotted to, to draw in your minds, a drawing of, a sketch in your minds, a drawing of fit in a graphic design. Imagining deeply that your hearts would delight and through outlining fit that a spark would ignite. Our mindsets, our manners, our conduct intact, the laws of behavior and how we should act. Fit is divided in four major parts. Ibadah is drawn from the fit of the hearts. Business transactions with all of his deals, then family provisions, including the meals, legal procedures, offenses of law, then under these four titles make everything full. And then I started like that and I wrote that out because they said, what have you been plotting to do? So I said, Butawa's been plotting to sketch in your mind a drawing of fit. I always wanted to write out an outline of fit. I never had the time. So here I said, hey, this is what I've been plotting to do. And I did it. Right there, and he had to read the whole thing, you know, what I did. So put under Ibadah, the worshiping laws and the actions that stem from the slave to his Lord, Aqidah, Tahara, preceding Salah, and Janazas for all when the rich pays a cat, Siyam, Atakaf, if you're spending a night in a Hajj for whoever can pay for the flight. And so I'm breaking down an outline of what fiqh is, right? And that's what I was plotting to do, you know? so that we can ignite ourselves to what fit is and these things like that. And so he tells me afterwards that this was a real good education because he is a legist, right? He's a judge. judge. Just said that, yeah. yeah, he says, look, this was, he, this was the first time he got to see what Islamic law looks like. Because now he's like, these are the title headings hmm. of them. You get my point? Hmm. And just like, so, so Tahara is a title heading under it, but you know, Tahara takes a noble spot after Aqidah before Salah. 11 cleansing points in order. All of them begin with water. The vessels that we use to feed, taking care of private needs, will do with them wiping on the shoe, the issue that undo will do. So we run it down. And this is because, you know, a lot of people, I know my fiqh, I know this, but they can't even tell you what are the chapters, okay? How many mm -hmm. are there? What are the title headings? And what are the issues under this? So I said, instead of, you know, saying what they can't do, let me make one that is beneficial if someone memorized this, they would have an outline of fiqh, all the chapters. There are 38 chapters to finish, begin. Start with aqidah to end in jihad, attacking the core of your own fu'ad. Your fu'ad is your heart, but it also has the, the meaning of fa'idah, same root, you know, the own benefit, focusing on yourselves again. And so I wrote this out during this time that I was there in ISIL, and I submitted it in as evidence. You know, <laughs> of what my plot was, man. This was my plot. This is all I was doing right there. Alhamdulillah. I mean, I represented myself along with the attorney. Attorney did his job, and you know, and and Shibli came in and fought like you know a, a Tasmanian devil. You know, Alhamdulillah for me on the civil issues and stuff like that. 
there was a, the, the, the main issue becomes the, did I tell you about the, 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 the guy from, from West Point? He comes in there as, a, as a, an expert and he says, you know, he has to know these things that the things that I have, the books, mm. the, the bottom line for them came that I had books that they felt were not good books. Mm. Okay. And I shouldn't have this, this, this type of knowledge. Okay. So I challenged them on that. You know, who told you these books were no good? Are you an Islamic expert? And so they brought an Islamic expert and he said, well, these books and these people are not good and they're not saying the good things about Islam. I said, okay, well, who taught you that? He said, mm. well, these scholars, are they Muslim? Yes. Are they scholars? Yes. Do they have the same education as I do? He had to stop for a second. Yes. The same, more than any, or well, one had more, the rest had less education than I did. So then if it's okay for them, why don't you arrest them? Mm -hmm. You know? But so if it's okay for them, then mm -hmm. it's okay for me. And he couldn't do anything but laugh, you know, mm -hmm. about that idea. And, and mm -hmm. then there was another point. The point was that half of those books were on an, uh, uh, an app. You know, the app of Shamila of all these books, you, you download the app and it's 20,000 books. Mm -hmm. I said, is there any proof that I even opened up any of these files? Okay? Mm -hmm. No, you got my computer, you can look through the history. Some of these books that you're claiming, mm -hmm. I haven't even opened up these files on them. And even if I did, there's no crime committed. Mm -hmm. You know? So... So the judge set you free from... The judge said this is, you know... Well, it was another issue. You know, that I said, well, if you, if you guys admit now that here it is that I was on the anti-terrorist team since 17, okay, when did I become a terrorist? Mm -hmm. If most of my life I've been killing terrorists, when did I become one? Okay, and I'm telling you, it happened when I had a fight with the CIA handler in Africa. And that was in this year. Now you look and see what year they, they, they put me on the other side, on the list, okay? And now they match. What's their excuse for putting me on the list? Okay? Mm. Crickets. Okay? Because the CIA wouldn't say anything. No comment whatsoever. All right? They wouldn't even acknowledge their presence there when asked. Nothing. So alhamdulillah, that's good for me. I get a win-win situation. Because I'm not trying to kiss and tell, which would get me in trouble with those guys. But at the same time, I'm saying acknowledge this so that I can go free. And alhamdulillah, that was done at that stage. I, Allah blessed me to get out of the prison. And uh, alhamdulillah, my legs healed. And people say, well, what happened to you after that? We didn't yeah, hear not, from you. We didn't, that's the thing, Shaykh. We, <laughs> didn't, we didn't see you for a long time. I mean, even, you know, you just went off the map. Okay, not really. One of the things they say about the Talib al-ilm is that the Talib al-ilm goes away and studies and then people miss him, right? Because he's away studying. I knew I had spent three years in isolation, four years in prison altogether. And when you're in isolation, you talk to yourself. You know, you start, you know, you don't know what you said because you're talking to yourself. You have to make up the need for companionship is so great. You imagine someone just to talk to, you know, just to have that there, okay? And sometimes I would find myself standing there and I'm like, well, I must have, I don't know how long I've been standing here because I'm going through, you know, talking, going through the situations, running it through. Boom, I have a pen in my hand and I don't know how long I've been in this state of freezer, you know, thinking about whatever's going on. So I said, I need some rehab. Jake, okay. how did you even cope? 
I say that Allah made us and they didn't. So they didn't make us, they can't break us. Okay? Okay? My success is only by the grace and mercy of Allah. That I can't claim that, oh, I'm some tough cat. Nah, they don't go down like that. There's la sahla illa ma ja'altuhu sahla. Allah. Oh, the only thing is easy is what Allah makes easy. Most guys down there after two weeks were hanging up. I'm talking about we had people kill themselves in the cells. You could hear them. You could smell them crapping on themselves. Because when, when a person hangs himself, they lose control of their bowels. And they don't clean that stuff up. They wait till somebody else moves in there. The guy comes to run around, might come and sweep a little bit, but the place smells of blood and, and, and feces and stuff like that down the hallway. Or if they gas somebody, it comes through the vents and you, you know, you gotta you deal with that CS, you know, the CS gas that they, they use um, for you burning your nose, a light version of that, 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 that mustard gas stuff. Uh, so what we imagine to be mustard gas, Allah knows best what it actually is. So, um, and there was one girl, one time there was behind another wall, because you could hear really good. Behind another wall, there was some lady who had given birth to a child in there, okay? She, they took her out to the hospital, and then they took her baby. And she was like, yo, I give me my baby, my baby. And she went crazy, and then finally she killed herself. And the, the guard was trying to cut the thing off her neck and wound up cutting the girl's neck, trying to get the wire off. And she had, you know, it was all, so you could hear all this stuff, and then, because of what being, being back there, they, the guards used to come and rap my door and talk to me and, and ask me and questions about the dean and stuff like that. And actually some of them started watching my videos. You know, they watch my videos and ask me questions and, and stuff like that. You can't see them because it's a wall, but you know, initially I was Bin Laden's cousin, but at the end of it, I was professor. And they were, you know, they stood up when I was leaving out of there, they, were, they all stood up and was like, you know, you know, greeting me as I was leaving out after all that long time for Allah changed their hearts. You get my point? And it was actually one of the guards, a captain, who said, I cannot see this happening anymore. If you don't take these chains off this guy's legs, I'm going to write a report. You know, so she, everything was coming to a head. They were tired mm -hmm. of seeing, you know, all of this stuff like that. So um, Allah made it easy. Allah made it, made it real easy for me to do like that. And, you know, and I got a lot of letters from a lot of young people, Rob, I would get stacks of letters, you know, rubber bands worth of letters. And first I thought that people, they were holding my mail, and actually they were. But they sent so much mail, they started to give it to me at least once a week, and I would try to go, but what they did, they would cut out the return address. So I couldn't return mail back to people. So people out there was like, oh, I never got a return from you, I didn't get your name. You know, they would cut that stuff out. Even the letters, we got over a hundred and 10 letters went to the judge in my behavior from all over the world. And a judge quotes some of them, some from Sweden and everything like that, that affected him in his decision making. And he said in his, you know, 20 something years on the bench, he'd never seen that many letters, okay? And he also expressed how the people in the judiciary and the military had violated the rules by calling him on his personal private letter to ask for me to get higher sentencing. Okay? And he's like, this is a violation. They're not supposed to have passed out that number or use it to affect the case. So he said all that on, on, on record. Okay? So these letters were really good. They were motivating some of my students. They were, because they, they took my mushaf from me. Okay? Took my mushaf. They threw it in the trash. They're trying to make you react. One of the things they were trying to get me to do was re respond violently. So that they could say, see, he's a dangerous. 
Because that was the whole picture of saying he's dangerous, he's out of hand, you know, a whole black guy thing, but I'm this little bitty guy, you know what I'm saying? But they always said, you know, he's so violent, they're such animals. But I wouldn't respond. Alhamdulillah, I knew that if I responded one time incorrectly, that that would be it. They would use that. Okay? So Alhamdulillah, they took my Mus'haf trying to get a rise out of me. And I, you know, told my wife and she put it online. Next thing you know, the students are writing Qur'an to me. Writing all of, you know, Miss Wasim, uh, you know, uh, you know this, um, SubhanAllah, Wasam, I said Wasim. Wasam, she writes all of Baqarah out. Sending it to me, writing it out. Other students writing out the whole Quran. Some of them are married, I don't want to say their names, you know. But some of my students were doing it. My children were writing out the Quran. So then I had Quran <laughs> that I'm reading from their letters. They don't know, they think it's just a letter, but it's the whole surahs and stuff like that that I'm benefiting from and doing my muraja'a from those um, papers. And we organized them like that. And so that was, you know a lot of the things that do plus I was writing this outline there uh, of the, the, the Quran and I'm fighting the case. I'm learning the laws of, of terrorism which is really all based on Ali Tamimi's case and the, uh, the, the laws of conspiracy you know and uh, so I'm, I'm, I'm learning all these things while I'm doing that and I continue to fight the case until finally Alhamdulillah Allah gave us tawfiq. When we got out though people say well what happened right? That was your question. Mm -hmm. yeah. Again, I felt I needed some therapy. I needed to do something. And plus they put me on a three year, what they call supervised release. Whereas you can't move around. I can't go anywhere without their permission. Alhamdulillah. So while I was in prison, I told you they took my mushaf, right? I was already Hafiz Quran in the Qira'ah of Warsh and Asim. And also I recited in Hafs, okay? I said, I'm not going to let this happen to me. If I get out of here, I'm going to memorize the Qur'an in every qira'ah possible. And so Allah gave me tawfiq. When I got out, Sheikh Uthman Khan in, 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 in Canada, his brother Umar Khan, these brothers, they came together and they taught me for three years. For the first three years, the first year we did the 10 qira'at as-sugra. That's my therapy. Memorizing the ten qira'at, sugra. When I finished that, we went on to kubra. Okay? I got ijazah in sugra. Then I went to kubra. And we did the ten qira'at again in the kubra. And reciting it. And that was, you know, because the Qur'an is a shifa for the heart. And that's what I did. Just reciting the Qur'an. And I wanted to review the Qur'an so I can put myself in a different light before I open my mouth and talk. And, and I, was, I was in that way able to get my humanity you know, and, and balance back. Alhamdulillah Rabbil Alameen. And so that's what I did. Alhamdulillah Rabbil And now I walk with a cane. My eyesight is kind of jacked up, you know, a little bit. But, you know, if we say we're mujahideen, then we're, we're happy about these wounds, right? Mm. We, we, we say, hey, look, I got it. You know, I didn't do anything wrong. I was innocent. Okay? Mm. Alhamdulillah, but that may be the way that was, that was the way that got me out of all that other stuff, though, right? Mm. Now I'm clear. I'm free from these cats, you know? Mm. Alhamdulillah. And so during those three years, like I said, I did it. Then afterwards, I studied the four qira'at zadat al-ashra. So that was the fourth year, okay? The, 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 now I did that with Sheikh Umar Khan. And these are the four qira'at that are shad. They're mm. irregular. Now people say, well, why you study those? We can't recite them 
for Salah and those things, but we study them so that the Orientalists and the Masons and those people don't try to trick people and give these, you know, this is the Quran too. No, no, we got that too. Mm -hmm. We understand that. So uh, we did a, a year long program of that. Well, it wasn't a full year, let's say. Uh, the way he does it, he did it like a master's program. Mm. So we did that, it fully opened up to a year. So it was four years. Three years with the Ten Qira'at, Sugra and Kubra, and one year with the Shadh, you know, the four Shadh, Zada, Ala, Al Ashra. And that's what I did for my first four years. I was supposed to be going there in August. This year we're going to, and you know, we you get all your ijazas. It's like getting a master's degree, like I said. And once they did the Corona, I had no more reason to stay in the United States and no longer under the three year mm. thing. And now I can leave. I realized that with the corona thing, that uh, what the new, what they're going through, and I'd heard that things with my case were happening, you know, alhamdulillah rabbil alameen. One of the things they've done to me is very difficult for me to get a, a, a bank account. I can't get a bank account. They have frozen my, uh, what do you call it, military benefits. I don't get any of my military benefits at all, okay? No money or any things like that. Um, these are the types of things, because people mm -hmm. think it's over. No, it's never over for you. Whenever I travel, okay, when, I, when they allowed me to travel, what I do, first thing I did is I went and made Umrah. Me and my wife, we met, went and made Umrah, because that's how you're supposed to do it, right? Mm -hmm. Went and made Umrah as soon as the, the three years was over, because that's how we heal ourselves. And now it's been a little bit of time. I made Hijrah, and that's why I chose uh, Turkey as well. Mm. Alhamdulillah. Rabbil I hope that answers what I've been doing. And at the same time, mm. it's not the only thing I've been doing. You know, we have Timbuktu Seminary. Mm. And Timbuktu Seminary is designed as a means of teaching young fulabul ilm, not in age, but young in knowledge, mm. to the point where they become scholars. Now, I spoke earlier about my good friend Abu Khalil Silvestri. You know, back in the days, he was uh, the right-hand man of Muhammad Jibali, QSS, Quran and Sunnah Society. He did a lot of uh, translations. He did a lot of original works. And with regards to Hadith, there's been no one who has edited more Hadith into English than uh, Abu Khalil Silvestri. You see the Darul Salam books, anybody looks at the six books of the Sunan, besides Sahih al-Bukhari, all of them say final editing, right? Final review, Abu Khalil, all of those books. Mm. So he's like the Albani, in fact, they used to call him Little Albani at Darul Salam, okay? Mm. And, uh, and he also did the uh, Ibn Kathir. He's the one that sewed Ibn Kathir together and he put all the hadith and, and did the tahqiq for all the hadith of that. This person is a sheikh in hadith. He's in charge of Timbuktu, the hadith program. Mm. Okay? So you work together, yeah. Right. And I'm in charge of the tafsir program and the Quran program and also the fiqh program in that regard. Does that make sense? Yeah. So alhamdulillahi rabbil alameen. We, we, we focus on, we take the Arabic language. You know, we have another great Ustad, uh, Abu, Abu Hudayfa Marshall. 
He's, he takes people from zero to 60 in Arabic, up to right where they're about to be conversational. Then I take them some way, and then we take them through the classics mm. up to Alifiyat to Binumalik. Mm. With regards to fiqh, we have a ritual work called first grade fiqh. And then we take them through outlining fiqh. We also go through the classics in the Maliki uh, Madhab. We could talk about that some other time. And then we, uh, uh, from there, we go through the basics, the usul, usulul hadith, which is al-bayquniya, usulul al-fiqh, and these things. And we take people from memorizing the Qur'an, and most of our students memorizing different qira'at. So let's say you want to learn hafs. We we normally don't teach hafs. We have one sheikh, he's a sheikh, Ukasha, who is memorizing in hafs, not Ukasha Kemeni, but the, there's two Ukashas famous in the United States. Ukasha and then Ukasha Kemeni. Mm. Ukasha Kemeni is already a sheikh in the Ten Qira'at, well known. Mm. You know, then you have Ukasha, he's blind, mm. okay? And he, since Hafs and Asim were both blind, mm. he's memorizing in the Qira'at of Hafs and Asim. Mm. Because he's also blind, alhamdulillah, he's been around also since back in the days. As a tolerable ill. But all the rest of the other students mm. are memorizing in Warsh and in Hamza, Ibn Kathir, Kisai. You're teaching different Qira'ats, uh, but you know, some people say that you should learn one first and then, but you know, like. Yes, you it's should, true. You should learn, uh, no, I mean, you should learn like uh, Asim. <laughs> okay, Alhamdulillah, this is a bid'ah. Mm. Okay, let me first clarify. Mm. Your statement is that some people say that before you can learn one of the other nine qira'at, you have to learn Hafs and Asim first. Mm. Who said that? Okay. Mm. When Allah tells us to, to recite, مَا يَتَيَسَّرَ لَكَ مِنَ الْقُرْآنِ What's easy for you mm. to recite? And so people have different pronunciations, you know? Mm. Like we talk in New York, we like talk in New York, I said like that. Mm. I was gonna say the word water, but I just to say talk. Mm. I can't say the word talk. It sounds funny to me to say talk any other way than talk or mm. water, right? So these pronunciation differences are gonna affect the way I recite the Quran. We say, a lot of New York say salam. This is like the Kisa'i way. You know, when we say words, you know, you know, kafirin, right? Mm. As well, kafirin, kafirin, you know, kafirina, the hat was set. So all these differences mm. in the Quran are for the different types of people there are. Mm. And how are we going to come and say, okay, you have to memorize hops first, and then you could, is hops better than the other one? Mm. No, they're all on equal mm. footing in this particular uh, way. Whatever, and, and by doing that, what has happened is people have forgotten the other qira'at and don't even know they exist. Or as if you're doing something, you know, uh, not munkar, yeah. but makruh, by not reciting hafs and asam. Mm-hmm. No. So in order to fight that mentality, we don't normally, we only have one student that's, that's learning hafs and asam. Yeah. All the rest of the students are reciting in a different qira'at. You know, from amongst mm. the qira'at. And this is something that it, it's, it's, it's inspiring to them. Just one. Mm. They're not memorizing ten at one time because that's not correct. Mm. What is correct to memorize one qira'at, yeah. any one qira'at. And then if you so desire, you can add to that. But these people are all memorizing one qira'at. You know, just whichever one they like. Mm. 
Or if I hear them reciting a certain way, I say, this might be good for you. Like a lot of times, mm. the students, sometimes the older students have a problem saying Hamza, establishing Hamza. So we tell them, like, or they have problem breathing. So we say, hey, look, you know, you, you got, you know, Abu Jafar. Okay, Abu Jafar mm. was the first person that wasn't a Sahabi to teach Quran. Because mm. you can imagine during that time, mm. who would dare teach Quran except the Sahabi? Mm -hmm. But Abu Jafar was not a Sahabi, but he was given the green light. So in his Qira'a, it's, it's, it's beautiful. You say, for example, A'udhu Billahi Minash Shaitanir Rajeem Bismillahir Rahmanir Rahim Alif Lam Meem. I was done. When I did that, like, subhanAllah, I'm sold just with that. <laughs> you know, yeah. when I heard that, because normally we say, Alif, Lam, Meem. But he has a sect between each one mm. of those. That's flavor that you savor, right? <laughs> so then, and then when you get to something like Hamza with the pauses, Thalika al kitabu la raib. فيه هدى للمتقين الذين يؤمنون بالغيب ويقيمون الصلاة ومما رزقناهم ينفقون والذين يؤمنون بما أنزل إليك وما أنزل من قبلك وبالآخرة هم يقنون That's fat. That's fat. You know? Or mm -hmm. when you do Susi, mm -hmm. he has this. When I heard Susi, I, again, I mm -hmm. fell in love. For me, uh, Khalaf al Hamza. Oh, well, Khalaf al Hamza is good. Alhamdulillah is good too. Yeah. With that, 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 just with the Shay in and Bil Akhirati. But Susi, look at this. He says, That is awesome. وَإِذَا قِيلَّهُمْ SubhanAllah You get my point? So these are things that people don't get from the Qur'an Okay? The Qur'an is supposed to be inspiring, right? And so that was my rehab You know? So we push it, we push it with the students The students are really motivated They become experts in their qira'ah and that's how yeah. we get down. Sheikh, I'd like to expand on this topic in another oh, okay. session. Okay, get, get me more. started. Uh, because, you know, I love uh, this, this topic, subhanAllah. And, and I think we could clarify some of, the, some of the kind of doubts that are being pushed out of the moment, which you might or you might not be aware of online. But I just want to take it back to... I just want to get back to it just before we finish, because no. we don't have much time left but for this particular... Uh, segment. So I just wanted to ask you before we finish on this section about uh, the case of uh, Ali Tamimi because Ali Tamimi, as we know, he's released uh, I think a few days ago these things. Yes, I was thinking about this. You know, one of the things that I can say because I was, we don't want to ruin Ali's case. Okay, that's one thing. But in order to make a few things clear, people should realize that most of the things that they think they know, they don't know, okay? In Ali Tamimi's case, they tried to say he, poor, he promoted treason. This is the usul, the origin of the case. He's promoting people to 
commit a form of treason. But if he did, then there has to be what we call an overt act. Does that make sense? Mm. They never responded, the, the defense, I'm sorry, the prosecution never responded. And they were able to get away with that due to negative public opinion because the Muslims left Ali hanging, okay? So a lot of the cases are decided by public opinion because if there's no public interest in giving him justice, then we leave it alone. So this is why it's very important for us not to leave the Muslim. Even let's say he's a Muslim, you don't believe in the same ideas he has. Is he not yet still a Muslim? Is it okay? Some people say, oh, that dirty, stinking Sufi. So if they, the Kafirs are killing that Sufi, you're not going to go and protect that Sufi? Is he not still a Muslim? And if that's your mentality, shame on you. Get my point? And then you tell me the hadith about a man, a lady goes to Jannah for saving a dog. But we, 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 we find it okay for a Muslim that we disagree with to get treated like a, less than a dog. So that's an, an interesting point to mention there. But how, it, how it's connected to my case, in my case, we quoted his case, the in, in, inaccuracies that they did and that they were not allowed to legally get away with. For example, not responding to the fact that there's no overt act. So in my case, they're decided, hey, there's no overt act here. So now he takes my case and uses it as a precedent. I'm not saying exactly that, with it, but that can be used. Even though they didn't, be, they didn't publish my case. Now let me explain the law here. When my case came and they decided that this is a bunch of nonsense and it's woefully inadequate, meaning it has not reached the degree for you to have even gone through this, right? The government has the, has the ability to object right? And challenge it and, and ask for a retrial in that regard, right? They refuse to do so. When they refuse to do so, my case does not get published in the books. Mm. So the only one that gets the benefit from that case is if you know that case exists. Mm -hmm. And that's why they didn't challenge it. Because once it gets published, then anybody searching for a case similar to this terrorism case mm. and conspiracy will now be able to pull that up. But if it's not published, you have to know the specific case exists. Mm -hmm. And once you do, now you have a precedence to say, hey, your honor, look here, we have a precedence. They challenged, made them decide, where's the overt act here? When did Abu Talba says, because he sent people overseas to go study, when did this become a, a crime? When did Ali Tamimi, some of those people went to go overseas? None of them went to the place to go join the Taliban. So where's the overt act? Does that make sense? Yeah. And so, and again, I don't, I thought about it. I don't want to smash his case up uh, and, and make it, you know, a problem for him. And uh, that's why I was very careful the way I wanted to say it that way, because I don't want to mess up uh, anything that Ali Tamim is going to bring out in his evidence. Does that make sense? Yeah. Okay. Jazakallah khair, Sheikh. I think uh, that'll be enough. For today and uh, inshallah we can do another episode uh, take it on from where we left off inshallah inshallah <laughs> and I've never told this story before when I was in fourth grade I got stabbed because I'm scared they have never asked me what happened hmm. Okay, and, and my parents are pretty straight up. And they, I didn't get a whooping. 
Hmm. You know, and I got my school clothes dirty and I got cut and, you know, and I cut that boy and I stabbed that boy and nobody's saying anything. And so when I'm in school, you know, I get the rumor that the other boy died. Where's the, the other boy that, you know, she, she mentions to me and I said, I don't know. They said that I think he died, you know, so he died. No, you killed him. And I was like, no. And so on the way to school, they have this body there and you see it. You're a kid, you want to see that. But then when we were coming home from school, the body was still there. And we were like, yo, they don't care about us. You know, they just don't. I mean, they, this dude is laying out here all day. Had that. Back in the days, rap wasn't that big mm. as it is now. We didn't think it was going to be that big. But Russell Simmons was always, you know, um, a street kid. You know, not, not Run. Run wasn't the street, wasn't, they didn't have street credibility like that. Russell was down with the Savage Nomads. He was cool with this, this gang uptown, you know, Bronx dudes. They were called the Savage Nomads. And, and, and Russell was cool with them or down with them, however it was. But Brooklyn kids, Brooklyn and Queens have a unique relationship. Brooklyn kids do the muscle. The Queens did, dudes was, was like really organized in that particular way. So we used to call it the Brooklyn Queens Posse. But anyway, I got my first job as a civilian. Well, I wasn't really a civilian. My first job at that time outside of the Marine Corps was bodyguarding for Russell and uh, would go pick up like run was on drugs at that time he was doing crack you know and heavy like that so he would disappear the dudes that were running the area was the supreme team and there were a lot of them five percenters and the five percenters and the Muslims we have a really good relationship Big Daddy Kane too we said bodyguard him and take them back and forth, mostly to Philly and stuff like that. It was never a moment that I did not want to be me and did not say, you know, please with my Lord and I'm pleased with my Dean and I'm pleased to be in the situation that I'm in. And I wouldn't want anyone else to be there. Why? Because I was trained for this. I figured if any of the tolerable ulama have to go through this, I'm the best one for it, right? Hmm. This is what I was trained for. Okay, I can do this. And I just ask Allah not to make me embarrass myself. Okay, or embarrass Islam. Thank you for listening to the Young Smirks podcast with me, John Fontaine. Be sure to follow us on Instagram and YouTube and all the other outlets. Like and subscribe and leave a comment. And also, please support us on the donation link below so that we can continue to give you quality podcasts. Thank you very much. Jazakallah khair. Assalamu alaikum wa barakatuh.